Welcome to Frame of Reference, informed, intelligent conversations about the issues and challenges facing everyone in today's world. In-depth interviews with Sauk County's leaders and professionals to help you expand and inform your frame of reference. Brought to you by the Max FM Digital Network. Now here's your host, Raul Labresh. Well, welcome to another edition, episode, there we go, episode of Frame of Reference, Sauk County and Beyond. And today is a Beyond Day. I will tell you that right from the beginning, uh, beginning of everything here, because my guest today, this I think this may be the first time, or not many times that this has happened, where my guest today actually reached out to me via another guest uh, that was on the show a, a couple months back and sent me basically a, a quick vita of what is, uh, you know, if I would consider having him on, well, you're going to find out from the podcast that this person has a vita to die for uh, and just has a very interesting background. And I'm really looking forward to, get to getting to talk to him today because he does have such an interesting background in things like sustainability. Now, if that isn't a topic that people are talking about with EV sales going through the roof and right. you know all the arguments between is this worthwhile, is this not worthwhile, blah, 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 uh, it's certainly a topic that we need to discuss, if nothing else. I speak about none other than Mr. Thomas Eggert, Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Your position, Tom, let's give everyone the full bore explanation of who you are and why we should listen to you. So, um, so I'll, I'll start with the present and then work backwards. Okay, that's Because I retired fair. four years ago, but okay. you know, when I taught at the university and okay. um, my last semester of teaching, I told my students, most of them were seniors, that they were poised on this transition time where they were going from the life of a student entering sort of the professional world. Sure. And there were a lot of decisions that they were going to need to make as they made that transition. And I said, I'm viewing my retirement very akin to your graduation, sure. where now I'm going to have to be responsible and decide what I want to spend my time doing, sure. where I want to be, how I want to be. Sure. The only difference between you and I is you need to be concerned about what you're going to get paid and what the benefit packages is, are. I don't have to worry about that any longer. So, but it's huge but it's, weight yeah, difference. It's scary though because yeah. now you're given permission to do anything. Yeah. How do you decide among anything sure what it is that you know where you belong right. where your energies should be directed right. and so sounds like one of those buffet tables on a cruise ship yeah right and it just endlessly keeps coming and every meal you go to there's more wonderful things to well choose from a former there. boss that still remains a really good friend advised me don't say yes for the first six months because yeah. you'll have so many offers coming in sure. you just need to sit with it and sure. just feel what where what's right where what draws you yeah. where do your passions align with a certain set of needs sure um so i would pass that on to others that are facing that retirement mm -hmm. it's it's a it is a huge challenge challenge and a transition and so well, what a blessing that. to have the opportunity to do that too yeah, right there right. Are, I, I think of my dad was a you know lower middle class worker all his life last job that he had he thoroughly hated um, you know, so he had been a jack of all trades, master yeah. of none, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I watched him as he retired and then took odd jobs to just kind of fill in his social security uh, benefits. And it was, he did not have a happy retirement. Yeah. 
Um, you know, and so it's a, you know, you look at that and think, boy, what am I doing to prepare to have the kinds of choices you're having versus the, right. you know, struggle that right. a lot of people do have, right? Yeah. Well, my dad was the same way, only um, he worked at the same business for 50 years. Okay. Retired and and retired. And, you know, he didn't face all of those choices. <laughs> he was just he looking wanted, forward to rest. Right. He wanted nothing right. to do with choices. Right. Give me my garden. I am happy to golf. Yeah. I'm happy to garden. Yeah. I'm happy to sit around. Sure. Um, and... I can't do that. It's just too scary. I mean, there's too much time that's unaccounted for. Right. My whole life has been filled with, you know, trying to be very efficient with time. Sure. And I just can't take that next step to say, oh, I've got all the time in the world now. Right. I still feel like there's so much to do and so little time. And yeah. how do you make yeah. it all? I grew up together. Catholic. I feel guilty when I yeah. do that. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of a, there's another part of that that a friend of mine told me years ago that if you really want to, really want to get something done, find a busy person. Yeah. So you know, right? there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. You would think they, oh, but if you find someone that's aligned with your mission and oh, yeah. you know what you're trying to do, right. yeah, busy people know how to just get it done. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're not looking for and it. Then, and then, that applied to students also. Okay. The students that you could count on were the ones that had huge loads okay. or that were working full time and going to school. And they sure. would, I mean, they had to be organized enough. Sure. They had to manage time so that they could do the things that they needed to do. So you, you were a senior lecturer or were you a full Sen professor? I the... never became a full professor. Okay. Um, I was never invited, but it was also by choice okay. uh, in that being on the outside looking in, I didn't have the publisher parish, um, gotcha. you know, sort yeah. of yeah. sort of Damocles hanging over my head, sure. right? Sure. Um, so as as a lecturer, and then ultimately as a senior lecturer, there was only two things that I needed to worry about: would students sign up for my classes, and once they signed up, would the evaluations come back positively? Sure. So as long sure. as I had students sign up for classes and the evaluations came back positively, I would yeah I could no teach problems. forever. Right. Um, right. And so, I mean, maybe let me just talk a little bit about that. So um, my background is law. Um, went to law school out in uh, in D.C. At, at George Washington University. Oh, geez, a little bit of a pe pedigree there. A so. little. Um, <laughs> uh, while I was in law school, worked with the Environmental Law Institute, which is essentially a think tank that does contracts for the government and also publishes summaries of environmental law decisions that come down. So okay. a lot of those summaries I wrote as an intern working with one of the senior staff. Okay. But it great gave me great too. background, yeah. right? Um, it gave me the opportunity to sort of sample a number of possible futures for when I got out of law school. Okay. And one woman that I worked with was was very compelling and said, "I think you should go work for a state's attorney general's office. Okay. You're going to immediately be working. You're not carrying anybody's suitcase. You're not." you know, filing or doing research, you're doing real work from the moment that you're there. Um, and so I took that recommendation to heart, okay. um, actually applied to a number of different states, um, met the folks out in Montana um, and loved what they were doing. Okay. Um, they loved me enough to, to bring me out. Um, <laughs> so I ended up Montana. Um, yeah, I ended up. Uh, what a culture change from Washington. Yeah, so that's what my wife said. Yeah. Um, I took her out there, and I said, "Oh yeah, they've got a, a shopping mall." <laughs> and she said, Three well, stores and a bar." And <laughs> she said, "Well, who are the anchors of the shopping mall?" And I said, 
nobody that you've ever heard of. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so oh, it was a it was yeah. a huge culture change. Yeah. It was great. Um, we were in Helena, um, okay. and Helena is beautiful. It's a valley, and you know, sort of the western part, or yeah, I guess the eastern part of the Rockies, the western part of the plains. Okay. Um, and about midway between Glacier and Yellowstone, okay. and we loved it. Sure. Um, we fit in really well. Um, we made really good friends there. Sure. We ended up leaving after I was there for five years. Um, my oldest two, our oldest two kids were born in Montana, but both my wife's parents and my parents were back here in Wisconsin. Oh, we really? both okay. were raised, yeah. you know, near our grandparents. We okay. wanted our kids to be raised near their grandparents. Sure. So we moved back to Wisconsin. So, I mean, that that's actually part of the story. Um, moved back to Wisconsin uh, for a job with the Department of Natural Resources uh, in a program that virtually the time that I moved back, they eliminated the program. <laughs> so it was a program that was created under a Democratic uh, sure. governor that a Republican governor came in and said, no, 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 we're not interested in doing that. Right. So. Right. I, Gee, I, that doesn't happen. No, I, right? No, 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 never seen that happen no. ever before. So. Um, so I bounced around a little bit, um, and at that time, and I know this is going to be really hard for people to believe, but the state actually would pay for classes for you to go back and get a graduate degree. Mm -hmm. So I had a, a background in law, but I thought you know public administration would be a good thing to to to, to get. Qualifications, credentials. Sure, sure. In. Well, and the legal background is certainly going to help inform Correct. that type of, type of work. Yeah. Sure. Um, so went back, uh, worked on my master's in public administration, um, and talked to the head of the Institute for Environmental Studies. Um, okay. Tom Ewell was the, the head at that point, and they were running a graduate program uh, called Conservation Biology and Sustainable Development. Okay. So I talked to Tom and I said, I'm really interested in sustainable development. You know, this is just at the very beginning of right. people talking about it. Right. Um, the Clinton administration had had the President's Council on Sustainable Development. Um, Sam Johnson from SC Johnson from Racine um, was head of that, okay. uh, was that head ahead of that entity. Um, and so, so people were starting to talk about it. So, so the head of the Institute for Environmental Studies said, Tom, we're really interested in sustainable development too, but we have no classes in sustainable development. You work for the DNR. I bet you can get some release time and put a class together and we'll offer it. So I ended up teaching the first class on sustainable wow. development in fall of 1994. Um, so here's and, your whiteboard. Go ahead yes. and fill it with equations. And right. I thought I was going to be teaching a class given my background in public administration, okay. looking at the role of the federal government, state government, municipal government, but we had just transitioned out of the Clinton administration. The federal government wanted nothing to do with sustainable development. Um, we just transferred from uh, into the Thompson administration in the state, sure. and there sure. was no interest in sustainable development. Sure. So instead of a class on the role of the government in leading us in this area of sustainable development or sustainability, I ended up teaching a class on business leadership. Okay. So it was, at that time, it was the Patagonias of the world, the Ben and Jerry's, the right. Toms of Maine, kind of those iconic um, classic hippie companies that, you know, still exist, right. but are cut out of a different cloth right. and and exist for a different purpose. And they still make money, which oh, yes. is kind of a fundamental thing that goes through this thread line. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and we're at the cutting edge of anticipating 
a changing customer set of expectations for okay. businesses. Okay. I mean, you remember, and I was teaching at this time, Patagonia ran an ad for Black Friday that don't buy our stuff because, you know, people have enough Patagonia. Um, you know, you don't need three different sweaters that and three right. different colors. Right. And what was the out the outcome of that ad? They doubled sales. <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah. so, yeah. so. I mean, it was uh, it was just you know you just can't think of other businesses saying no, don't buy our stuff. Right, and, yeah, you'd be out of the door right. so quickly. Right, like you, kind of crazy person. It would never you? even be a marketing right. message. No, right, no. Um, I, I should tell that to my boss and say, I got this new marketing idea that yeah. Patagonia did. Yes. It was really successful. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I ended up teaching a class that was all about business leadership at a time that businesses were just starting to think about what is this stuff? Sure. Why do we need to think about it? Um, and so, you know, by 2005, we had both GE and Walmart talking about sustainability. During the Super Bowl uh, in 2005, GE was running wind turbine um, sure. messages. They called their program Eco-Imagination. Sure. Um, and once Walmart and GE got on board, then everybody started talking about it. Sure. And so I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, right. Um, kind of at the cutting edge of a huge change in what business did, why they did it, and what the expectations of the business community sure, were. Sure. And so that's going to be a, we're going to have to come back to this, I think, in depth because there, there's a, a continuity line there, and you've, you've alluded to it of, uh, the Democratic platform has one set of agenda. The Republican platform has a different set of agenda. And you you look at those things and say, you know, we're not that different in terms of our ideologies right. when it comes right down to it. So how do we establish that, you know, equal field so that everyone says, you know, we all have something to gain from this. Why don't we work on it together? Yeah, right. Uh, well, know. and and I think one of the things that people will will realize and they'll hear from me is that as you have more and more businesses sort of playing a, a leading role in sustainability, they start making the arguments for the environmentalists right. Right. to the regulators and right. say, listen, we need a level playing field. Right. We are committing to this. We are busting our butts doing this stuff. Sure. And we have competitors that are trashing the environment, that are leaving you know a mess behind them. Sure. And that... That's not good for the world, but it's not good for our business, our our sector's reputation. Sure. You, as the government, need to go deal with those folks so that we're not all caught up in that bad reputation for sure. businesses like sure. us. We don't need them slumming our name down. Yeah, right. 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 So, okay, so you've gotten to that point in your career now. We're, that's kind of bridging the gap from your beginning of your career to kind of the end, right? To the and end, so, yeah. So. Um, so I finished out my career with the university, um, okay. continued to spend um, part of my time with the Department of Natural Resources. Um, gosh, 19, well, let's say 2000, um, a program called Green Tier was created, okay. um, which was still in existence, uh, a program to celebrate businesses that were beyond compliance companies. So okay. those businesses that we were just talking about that said, you know, we are, we get the whole compliance thing, but our customers are asking us for more. Our supply chain is driving us to do more. 
Our investors are rewarding us for a different sort of behavior. So we don't need to be regulated like everybody else. We're not just right balancing on that cutting edge of in compliance or out of compliance. Sure. How about a different relationship with the DNR so okay. that you guys grant our permits more quickly, um, you, you view us more as a partner as opposed to an adversary. And so I spent um, almost 20 years, 19 years in that green tier program at the same time that I was teaching at the university, teaching classes in sustainability, developing a certificate in okay. sustainability. And, okay. and then I'm sure what we'll talk about is founding the Wisconsin Sustainable Business Council. Right, so. right. Well, and then your other agency too, which is in, in microfinancing. Yes. So right. um, we can probably do an entire episode just on microfinance and how that works easily. and why people should want to contribute to it. Right. Um, folks, my guest today is Tom Eggert. Tom was a senior lecturer at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, but he has not given up his passion for the things that uh, he, he learned and taught there. Uh, in addition to uh, your organization that you were co-founder of is Wisconsin Microfinance? Correct. Okay. So um, Wisconsin Microfinance is a 501c3 nonprofit okay. um, created in 2010. Okay. Um, and let me tell you just a, a quick story about that. So I had a, a student in my fall semester class from Haiti. Okay. Uh, he went home for Christmas, as most students do, um, came back for spring semester. It was in my spring semester class also. Um, he was on the last flight out of Port-au-Prince before the earthquake in 2010. Oh, so gosh. that earthquake was a big deal. It was a big deal in this country. It was actually the first natural disaster where the Red Cross allowed us to use our phones to make donations. Um, people were there, – there's a lot of visibility. There's – I mean, there was 300, there's basically the size of Madison, number of people killed, 300,000 plus people killed. Um, just in the initial quake, right? Just right, just in the initial right. quake. And Port-au-Prince was pretty much destroyed, which meant all of the businesses that kept these people employed no longer existed. And unlike this country, when the business goes away, there's no continuing paychecks. Right. Um, and so, you know, the world jumped to the aid of the Haitian people. There was food, there was water, there was medicine, there was shelter. But what we wanted to see and what we also what we wanted to do was contribute to an organization that was helping people sort of get back on their feet again, right. start their businesses right. up, find what they were going to do, sort of be responsible for lifting themselves up and recreating their lives. Sure. It's the give a person a fish versus the teach Correct. them how to fish. Right. Right. And so we couldn't find an organization. The students had raised three thousand dollars because Jurgens was a face that they, you know, was in class with them. Sure. So they raised three thousand dollars from grandparents and parents and uncles and aunts and you know, and so right. it was wonderful. It was fabulous. And so we were just trying to play our part in helping the Haitian people sort of take that next step. And we sure. just could not find an organization that was doing what we wanted to fund. Okay. And so we had, I had been teaching about um, the Grameen Bank model, which is Muhammad Yunus, he won a 2006 Nobel Prize for this idea. And the idea was there is a, we can provide small loans to really poor people that have no collateral and no credit history, and they will pay those loans back. It was just an amazing idea that you know the banks would never have thought of before. Sure. Sure. Um, but he proved he proved that in fact this worked. And so what 
we were trying to do was take the theory <laughs> that we had read about in these papers and this book right. and sort of make it reality. And so Jurgens put us in touch with his pastor growing up, who also was running an economic development nonprofit in Haiti. Okay. We told him what we were interested in doing, which was making small loans to help people sort of get back on their feet again. Sure. When you say small loan, how, what are we talking about? $50. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Our first loans were just a little over $50. Okay. So in most cases, people could think of that as I spend that on cigarettes for yeah, right. three days, yeah. whatever. Okay. A dinner on the weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, he said yes. Um, we laid out, well, we kind of developed in conjunction with him what our expectations were. We okay. wanted 80% of our loans to go to women. Okay. Um, there's good academic research on the benefits of providing women loans that, as opposed to um, men loans and who squander it on beer. Yes, probably. they yeah, do, and and other things that are less savory. <laughs> yes, um, it doesn't often go back to the family. Is yeah. what the uh, which is boy, isn't that a sad reality? Yeah, right. Yeah, so. um, and we wanted, so we didn't have to want to figure out how we were going to compel people to pay these loans back. Sure. So the Grameen Bank offered up um, a model that essentially. Was a created peer pressure and peer support. So every every borrower, every loan recipient was part of a lending group, and that group could be six to eight to ten people. No one in that group would be able to get a second loan until everyone in that group paid back their first loan. Wow. So okay. my future opportunity is contingent on you doing what you say you were going to do, and if I need to help you get that loan paid back, sure. I will sure. because I'm not going to be able to take out another loan unless you do your thing. That makes me think of the model, um, the the economist who um, the, A Beautiful Mind has written about. Didn't he have a, a model of economics that worked in a similar way? Yeah. Uh, so I, I remember, so I saw that movie a long time ago. Yeah. Um, that kind of idea of people having to Be know, jointly succeed. responsible and yeah. they, we all succeed together or we all fail together. Yeah. 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 So that's, yeah, that's the basis of our model for microfinance. Okay. And it has proven itself very workable sure. um, over the last 12 years. So we're 12 years old this summer. Well, um, that was probably one of the longest segues into a commercial break that I've ever had in my life. But uh, we're going to take a quick break here to hear a word from our sponsors. Uh, don't go anywhere. Obviously, Tom and I have a lot to talk about. So I think you need to be, be prepared now to dial your uh, podcast in to uh, realize you're probably going to be doing about three weeks worth of tuning in to Frame of Reference, if not more, just to be able to hear all that we have to talk about. So uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on WRPQ 99.7 Max FM's digital network and Frame of Reference. There's never been a better time to support small businesses and save big with Max FM Big Deals. Discount certificates from the Max FM Big Deals store will save you up to 50% off retail every day of the week. Local restaurants and wineries, healthy living and spa services, gifts for the holidays, and a whole lot more. New deals are added weekly. Check it out now at MaxFMBigDeals.com. That's MaxFMBigDeals.com. Start shopping and start saving. If you've got pets, there's a strong probability that they are hungry critters and your pet has a way of knowing when it's time to eat. That's right, Buster. McFarland's does have more pet toys and food than you can shake a stick at. 
Yes, lightning. Thank you. As well as nutritional supplements for horses, cattle, sheep, rabbits, and chickens. Of course I was going to tell them about the address. Sheesh. McFarland, 780 Carolina Street, one block south of Highway 12, where service is a family tradition. You know, not only was it fun to talk with Tom because we're both Milwaukee boys, although he is a North Sider and I am a South Sider. And there is a difference. Anywho, we at least knew about some of the favorite places like the Spy House. So anyways, what's most enjoyable about Tom is he had students on numerous occasions ask him how they could have a career and study to be doing what he does and what he did throughout his career. And his only answer was, there is no career path for this. Because ultimately what Tom did was follow his passion for the things that he enjoyed and the things that he thought were important. And the rest sort of took care of itself. Of course, he did listen to some important people along the way, but at the end of the day, it was more about letting life take him where it would than it was about making a decision about what his next step was going to be. Join us next week as we start to delve into some of the issues that Tom really has been an expert on, primarily sustainability and microfinance. But it was a fun time talking with him, and I'm sure you'll enjoy his insights and his expertise in the coming weeks. Take care.